Welcome to the Transform Recruit Marketing Podcast, the podcast focused on the talent acquisition community and having conversations with practitioners to share insights, best practices, and trends that help the discipline of recruit marketing grow and prosper. I'm your host, Chris Brablick. This episode, I spoke with our content expert, Elise Schmidt. If you've read any of our content from the Smashfly blog to research reports to our white papers, you've read Elise. This week, we dove into content and lead nurturing and how we can start to think about taking these practices into our recruit marketing strategy. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to another episode of the Transform Recruit Marketing Podcast. I'm Chris Brablick, and I'm extremely excited today because I'm joined by our own Elise Mayer, uh, who, if you've ever gone to our blog, if you've ever read one of our white papers, reports elsewhere, uh, more than likely Elise was one, uh, you know, had a hand in writing it um, from ultimately conception all the way to the deliverable of that. And um, she's incredibly talented and it's wonderful to have you on the call today, Elise. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm calling in from Denver. So excited to be talking to you, Chris. This is my first podcast ever. So thanks for having me. I'm excited. So how is the weather in Denver? Is it is it better than Boston? Hopefully it, it is pouring uh, in Boston. Uh, luckily, I brought my umbrella today. Yeah, I feel like I, I really can't complain. Um, Denver has been unseasonably warm in the winter. So for skiers, it's actually probably made them upset. But I'm just learning to ski, so I love it. It's been like 75, 80. Today it is 65 and sunny. And um, it makes you feel really bad for ever staying inside. <laughs> As I've only lived here for three years, it really makes you always want to get outside and, and be, be active and not just have a couch day. That's fantastic, and uh, I'll have to come visit you out in Denver uh, sometime soon if, if that's the weather and, and what the weather is like. Um, so, you know, with every podcast um, participant that, that we have on the, on the show, I always really kind of like to start at the beginning. I think it's always interesting to kind of hear the stories of, you know, how, how um, you know, everybody got to where they are today. And so, you know, Elise, when you were kind of growing up, where, where are you from? What were you interested in growing up? You know, what got you into really enjoying writing and, and content? Yeah, so I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois. Go Cubs, World Series champs. Um, and I was born and raised there in the city, not the suburbs, because every time I say I'm from Chicago, people like to say, okay, but really where <laughs> in terms of the suburbs? And um I am from the city. My dad works for the city, so we could never move outside city limits. And um, I was a really, really active kid, really creative. I remember writing stories with my brother, my computer. He could never spell, so I, I was always the one that had to write them. But we were really creative and loved reading, um, and I really always loved writing. Um, which is actually really funny because neither of my parents can spell or write. And both me and my brother were journalism majors. <laughs> so I don't know where we got that skill, but both both of, both of the Schmidt children um, were really into writing. So um, I'm, I'm a really avid reader, always have been. And um, 
I loved history. So I feel like writing and storytelling always came really naturally naturally to me. I loved doing reports and book reports as a child. They were like my favorite thing where probably most other children groaned and hated it when tried to read the cliff notes or do something really, you know, simple by reading just a few pages. I, I loved it. So I guess I really found my calling in writing and this is probably what I should be doing because I actually really enjoy it. <laughs> That's great. And it's interesting. I feel like every um, person on the show so far has mentioned kind of their family and, and how, you know, they have, you know, impacted kind of where they ended up. Um, so, you know, let's talk about uh, writing. So you like writing book reports. And to be honest, you know, if I met you, you know, years ago, I think I could have gotten you to write some of mine. Um, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, when you think about kind of, uh, you know, getting out of school and then, you know, ultimately taking those writing skills into content, you know, what, what really kind of interested you there? And, you know, um, were you always thinking content and kind of on the, on the business side or, you know, were you thinking other pursuits as well? No, I mean, honestly, when I went to college, which I feel like it was yesterday, but as I get older and older, it's obviously farther and farther away. But when I went to college, like content, I didn't even know. Like, I didn't even know that there were jobs in content. I feel like probably, I mean, gosh, eight years ago when I graduated college, that was probably just really emerging, maybe a few years later when content marketing really boomed. So I went actually into college. I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign. Um, not too far from Chicago, but I, I went in as a pre-law major. I love to talk. I feel like I always loved debating, and I knew that writing was a, writing and research was a really big part of that, but realistically, I, I knew nothing about the law profession. Um, so I went in pre-law. I took a lot of political science and a lot of history courses. Again, I did a lot of really long papers, a lot of research where many of my professors told me I should go into honors. And of course, at Illinois in a Big Ten university, I did not want to do any honors classes in college. So I didn't. But I started realizing that maybe history and law probably wasn't the most marketable for me, um, especially if I stayed as a, as a history major. I was history pre-law. Um, so I really started thinking of other ways that I could tell stories. And funny enough, I was waitressing, and actually there was this regular who was a lawyer, and he would come in every Sunday. We got to talking. He would order a bunch of wine and always tip me really well. And he was a lawyer, and he told me, unless you really want to be a lawyer and you want to do paperwork and you really love the law, do not be a lawyer. Too many people get law degrees because they think they're, they're going to be valuable for something else. So that was actually really interesting, and I, I realized I didn't know that much about being a lawyer. So I decided to switch majors, and I went into the College of Communications, and I became a journalism major, uh, print editorial journalism. And there's when I really learned that I have a unlimited amount of curiosity. I love asking questions. Um, if you ask my husband, he would probably wish I asked him a lot fewer questions. But I'm really interested in people. Um, really interested in topics and digging digging to the bottom of things. So I spent most of my, about three years in college doing investigative reporting. I worked at the paper. Um, I worked at the, the art and music paper as well. I did internships with the local paper in Champaign. So I spent a lot of my time writing on beats, interviewing people, running around Champaign, writing stories. Um, 
And that's what I wanted to be. I, I wanted to be a journalist. So I, I left college thinking, well, wow, um, I'm thinking I'm a great writer. This will be so much fun. I'll, I'll, I'll work for a magazine in Chicago um, or a newspaper in Chicago. Obviously, we have the Tribune and the Times, a lot of really big publications. And that was very fruitless. <laughs> it was a really difficult time. Um, as social media was skyrocketing, um, newspapers weren't doing as well. And obviously, we all know print journalism has kind of taken a toll in the last, you know, five to 10 years. So I ended up getting a, an internship at a, at a publishing company, which I, obviously, you know, as I've been saying here, that I, I really love books. Um, so I, I got into this publishing company. I thought that might be something that, that I did. The internship ended, and I actually ended up going into an agency. So that's where the bulk of my um, career has been in terms of social media, branding, and content marketing. But I got into an agency and I started proofing. I started editing, meeting notes, and looking at presentations. It was not the dream that, that I had in terms of writing stories and traveling around the world and, and investigating amazing current events. Um, but I actually really, really grew to love it. And step by step, I've actually really found it a great way to, c to continue being creative but also learning that that business side okay so your 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 path started with potentially law and then you know learning probably pretty quickly that you didn't want to be a lawyer um, yes. going into journalism wanting to be kind of you know an investigative reporter you know going around there uh, but then realizing kind of your niche when it comes to content um, and being acquisitive and going and trying to learn new industries and then ultimately you made your way to Smashfly um, yeah. and you know came into HCM and recruiting and so you know uh, you know in reading your content, it's obvious like you're you're a sponge, right? And you've you know learned so much about um, the space. What are the things that um, have really kind of intrigued you um, about uh, the recruiting space, the talent acquisition space, and how does it also apply to all the things that you know about content, around social, around marketing in general? Uh, when you talk about recruit marketing. Yeah, so, I mean, I think just to start, what, what I realized about journalism is that journalists spend a lot of time by themselves pouring through notes, pouring through audio recordings, and writing stories. Um, I feel like to be a really successful writer, you're alone a lot. You're traveling, you're on-site, you're, you're kind of knee-deep in, 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 your, in your writing. And what I loved about getting into content and social media and working at a lot of agencies where I had multiple customers, I was working in teams, I was being creative, I realized that I missed that that people aspect. I really missed working with people, being creative, and not just being in my own in, in my own head. So that's kind of how I see the difference between content and then like really being a journalist. So I, I love that team environment. And I really did not have any experience in, in HCM. And I really probably never thought that I would get into this industry. Um, Smashfly reached out to me. I was a, a passive candidate and being in this industry, we, we talked a lot about that and they were proactive. Recruiter talked to me. I fell in love with the people. Um, I loved the, the vision of Smashfly and what they believed in. And I love that it was so people centric. And so for both Smashfly and this industry and, you know, coming from what I said, I, I didn't want to be alone in my head. I really wanted to work with people. Content and social is a great way to do that and engage with people. 
But this industry and recruiting and talent acquisition, it is literally focused on people. So I just think it's so interesting um, to be able to dive into the psychology of people. There's so much in terms of behavior and personalities and hiring the right fit and purpose. And it's just a very intriguing um, industry because it just is so it is so focused on behavior and, and people. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm now writing about the technology side of it. And that's, that's also, that's also interesting. I mean, to me, recruiting and talent acquisition will never go away. Businesses will always need amazing people and they'll always need technology and better techniques to facilitate that. So I love that I'm kind of in the heart of something that I don't think will ever go away and right now really needs to be improved. No, a lot of great points there. Um, and yeah, I think when we think about it too, is we're, we're seeing, we're, we're really in the, the eye of the storm, so to speak, of that kind of next great transition when it comes to talent acquisition. And it always kind of evolves, it always changes a bit. Uh, but when we kind of think about um, the transformation happening, we're, we're seeing a lot of parallels to that, that marketing skill set, um, especially when it comes to social content and elsewhere. Uh, we're seeing that organizations, you know, really the, the biggest difference is n now instead of selling a product or service, you're selling your brand um, and your brand and value as an employer. Um, and so when we start doing that, content becomes really, really important. Uh, and the, uh, so when you think about the brands that are doing things well or, you know, what brands should start thinking about when they're building out content or thinking about um, leveraging content in, on their career site, in their campaigns and things like that, what are the tips and tricks that you have that you would suggest anybody to start thinking about? Yeah, I, I think um, I think just just to start is one of the key similarities between marketing and, and our industry now and how marketing and branding is flooding it into talent acquisition. I mean, to what you said, brand, brand is so important. And what we're seeing in marketing is the importance of social, like social do good, like social do gooding and purpose behind those brands. I mean, you think about where people want to buy, you think of Starbucks and, and the Toms of the world who really care about the environment and charity and people and, and veterans and all these, you know, all, all this stuff that's going to better our world. Marketing and consumer brands have, have really taken that to heart. And I mean, people people care now in, in, in this world. And I think that that's also bleeding over into talent, into talent acquisition. Um, we're really showcasing the the purpose behind your brand, that mission, that value, that that's up front. I mean, no one really cares about the individual products. You can buy shoes for, from anywhere. And just like you can be a salesperson really anywhere, that, that brand has to lead. And so that's something that I think marketing has really led with so many of the consumer brands and how they're advertising and how they're writing about themselves. I think talent acquisition, I mean, is already starting. We're, we're seeing a, a lot more of that storytelling, but we're really seeing brands starting to lead with mission and values and how they're they can enable people to fulfill what they love their dreams you know what they what they value most it, it's not just work and so in terms of content creation it, it sounds probably like r really hard i mean that that sounds like okay well i have to do a lot of work to, to, to try to figure that out i think the easiest way is to, to have conversations with marketing to have conversations with your with your employees I can't tell you how many ideas come from 
talking to my own team or talking to customers. Um, and you can use anecdotes. It can be very small, but really trying to, to, to uncover those stories by asking very pointed questions or having open conversations. I mean, just like you're doing with this podcast, how many ideas or themes can come out of this? And you can really think about content creation in, in that way. That's great. And, you know, like you said, I, I think there's plenty of places where you have great content uh, that can be used, especially from a candidate audience perspective. Uh, one of the things that I think is the biggest difference between uh, how a marketing uh, department operates and how a recruiting department operates is that as a marketing uh, professional, if I get a really good lead, I'm passing that to the sales group and the sales group is never going to get mad, right? They, they want to make as many sales as possible. If you give me more leads, I will take them. However, when we look at recruiting, we only have a finite number of jobs specifically for a certain skill. Now, we might need somebody uh, in a few weeks. We might need somebody in three months uh, with that skill set. Um, but we really can only fill, you know, maybe one or two jobs with that skill set, even if we have tons of qualified candidates. So when we think about recruiting and how we keep those candidates warm, lead nurturing is like a big deal. So can you tell me, like, as you know, the co-writer to our popular lead nurturing ebook with Glassdoor, can you tell us a little bit about what lead nurturing is? And, and why it's important to talent acquisition professionals. Yeah, um, definitely. But before I get into that, I just wanted to hit on something that you said and, and one of the, the biggest differences between what marketers do and maybe what recruitment marketers do. And that's extremely true. I mean, mar marketers are rarely turning people down. I mean, right? Like we're, we're, we want as many leads as possible and we're going to funnel those to sales. And if, if there's a lead that says, I, I want your product, sales is not going to say no. However, on the flip side, in talent acquisition, largely what people do in talent acquisition and recruiting is say no. I mean, <laughs> they're turning a lot of people down because there's that finite amount. So what that means is you're making a very few people happy because you're extending an offer and they're getting a job. But there's a zillion other people that are going through your candidate experience, interested in your brand, signing up for a talent network, applying for your jobs that in the end, get, get bad news. And, and that, that's kind of a hard job. Um, so to your point, that's really where lead nurture comes in. I mean, if you think about it, if I never heard from Target again after I bought something, I, I wouldn't really be mad. I mean, in fact, a lot of people would probably be happy that they weren't getting more emails from Target. But if, if I applied to Target or joined their talent network and, and applied and never heard anything again, I would actually be a little bit jilted, right? I mean, I might tell people of my bad experience. I may tell my friends, well, that, that kind of sucked. And it also might even cause me to think differently about shopping there. If you have a bad experience um, from a consumer experience, you might not want to apply. But if you also have a bad candidate experience, it really might affect how, how people will, will purchase from you and, 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 and consume your products. So this is really where I think lead nurturing really comes into play. Of course, you want lead nurturing to convert more applicants and to help you get those hires, but it also is so pivotal for all of the rest of the people in your candidate experience that you hope to remarket to in, in the future. So at, at its simplest, I see lead nurturing as building brand consideration and value over time with a person who's interested but not yet ready to act. 
So they've raised their hand and said, yes, give me more. And then you have to deliver on that promise. And you have to, that's your opportunity to interest them and to actually make them act. Um, and it, it's sad because we see so many organizations not following up on, on that promise right now in terms of what they're doing in, in their talent networks to capture leads and then ultimately nurture and, and communicate with them and build that relationship. And, you know, so a big part of that is content um, and a strategy for doing so. Um, so when you think about kind of that lead nurture aspect, you know, where, where should organizations start with lead nurturing? Um, you know, is it identification of who they're nurturing? Is it um, leveraging that content and figuring out that content plan? You know, what are the, the first things they should start thinking about? Yeah, I mean, there's there's obviously some some groundwork into in lead nurturing. I mean, one, you actually have to have to have leads. You have to know who you're nurturing and, and who you're communicating to. Um, so to start, I mean, you need some type of some type of technology, not just a basic CRM like a, a database that can just house names. I mean, we, you really need some a little bit more of a, a robust technology that you can build information. You can track the, these leads so you know more about them. I mean, I will say a one-size-fits-all in terms of lead nurturing is probably not the most effective way. Um, lead nurturing is really trying to build um, information, tracking actions over time, so you're giving people more of, the uh, more of the content and the messaging that they want. So I would definitely start with capturing leads and, and having a database. If, if you have that, it's really understanding what you want to communicate and probably more importantly, what candidates are wanting to, to, to learn from you. So you have to think like a candidate. You probably have to go through your own candidate experience and figure out what are the gaps? Why are people not ready to apply today? Um, what information can I give them? Why are they asking to learn more? What have I already provided them on, on the career site? And I know that Tracy Parsons, our recruitment marketing pro, is, is really amazing and has some awesome candidate journey maps and kind of map, mapping out those touch points. What do candidates want to hear at, at what stage? And having that framework will, will really help you figure that out and understand where your gaps are in terms of content. Um, it also helps you understand where you do have content. Um, building out those touch points, whether you want to communicate with someone once a month, maybe in, 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 in a monthly newsletter, or if you want to send, you know, nurture based on what they've done, if they've gone back to your career site, if they've read, read a certain story, if they've said, listen, I'm interested in, in engineering positions. Those are all things that you should be tracking in order to better give um, people content that they want. And it helps you it really helps you get get a plan in terms of what you're putting in newsletters for certain people. Um, engineers don't want to hear about sales jobs. They probably also don't want to hear from a regional sales rep and, and kind of their experience. They're much more likely to respond to projects, to an employee story from an engineer, to, to how, how they got hired and to what their growth plans are. Um, so mapping out that framework would probably be the, 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 the second point. And that's something we do in marketing. I mean, we try to understand what are our groups of leads, how can we segment them in order to send them better um, content and, and messaging, and then what do we already have? We try to repurpose as much as possible. It's, it can be a huge time suck to create all fresh content for to just, just to nurture leads that's just going in an email communication. So having that framework, you can then go back and see what does marketing put out? What do we have in our career site? 
Um, do we have employee videos already done? Can we just take their quotes out and put them in, in any newsletter? Um, what's happening in terms of a PR perspective? Are we talking about projects? Has PR or communications already put something out on that? You can really try to understand what's already out there and what you can use um, in, in terms of repurposing it into an employer brand story and employees an employee story and making it candidate facing. Two two really great points that I, I just wanted to uh, enunciate here um, as well in your answer. Uh, first, yeah, I love that you talk around segmentation um, and you know being able to start broad with your first content and starting measuring that. Um, but ultimately, you know, getting very specific into specific audiences as you get better and better. So, you know, if you have engineers, send them content around engineers um, that they would really actually want and consume. I, I think that's a really, really important point. The second one, I think, is also repurposing. You know, just because you have one content piece, don't just throw it up on your career site, but leverage it in a number of other places. And also leverage all the content that marketing has. Marketing has tons of great content that can be repurposed. I know I was talking to Shonda Zilich uh, a, a few weeks ago, and um, you know she was mentioning that like, hey, it's not always perfect, but we use marketing content all the time, and it's great for our social presence, for our email campaigns, and elsewhere. Um, so, one of the big themes that we hear all the time uh, is personalization. Um, but in many cases, we hear personalization used on the career side about uh, delivering personalized jobs, and, and everything is around the career side. The problem with that is a majority of the candidates you have won't necessarily ever even make it to your career site. You're missing a huge population, and even the ones that do won't actually apply to the organization. So when you think about personalization in terms of the strategy and in terms of lead nurturing, what, what are the things that, and, and how does that fit into the overall strategy that you're looking to provide from a, a lead nurture standpoint? Yeah, I think you make a really exceptional point. And I, I always go back to the you know marketing examples where, I mean, people want things to come to them. I think it's it's a really interesting time where candidates and people have so many options to be proactive, to research themselves. They have social media. Google gives them the opportunity to go anywhere and read anything. And it's really a time where they can be proactive, and we're seeing that. They're doing a ton of research before they ever even decide to, to act. However, it's it's kind of interesting because there's also this flip side of what we're dealing what, what, what we're dealing with in this era is we also want everything to come to us i mean we can't wait one week for tv we click on retargeting ads we want to be we want to get emails from amazon based on what we're doing we want things to come very simple to us we can't go out and order or get food anymore we have food coming to us everything is like i have preferences i have actions netflix you should know what i should want to watch i should it's all about you know things should be coming to me because there's so much already out there about what i like what i do and and what i want and i, I really think that that's where personalization comes in in terms of jobs as well um the career site people might never go back to the career site i might never go back to amazon after i buy something but they're sending me something in my inbox that I look at every single day. It is hooked up in my phone. I have alerts. It goes right to my inbox. I'm probably not deleting it. And I can get coupons. I can get new reviews. I can get a product that I might like. And then I'm like, wow, maybe I should go back to Amazon. 
I'm not checking Amazon's website every single day, but I am checking my email every single day. And that's something for job seekers and passive candidates and employers, people are not going to your career site every single day. They're just not. They're probably not going once a week or even once a month, to your point. They might go there one time and sign up and they're like, okay, I've raised my hand. You give something back to me and they're going to be checking their email. So I know that we've talked about this in webinars and about staying top of mind in a place that people use every single day and that they're, it's, it's, that they're, they're always going to go to. Um, and, and personalization fits in because kind of what we've been talking about, this segmentation, this learning more, learning more about people when they, when they, fill out that talent network form and they say, I'm interested in marketing jobs. I live in Denver and this is my email address. I don't really want to start getting, you know, jobs that aren't related to me. I probably want to hear more about people that, that I'm interested in, in press or communication or, or great campaigns. And that's going to make everything more relevant. I mean, people will seriously just opt out if they're getting random job alerts. Um, I think like a great example of, of this personalization is what GE is doing with the with the balance the equation campaign and how I mean you see this on TV you see this on GE's website I'm on Instagram and I'm getting sponsored Instagram posts about women that rock in in, in technology and manufacturing it, it's amazing they they have a hashtag I'm seeing it in retargeting I'm seeing it when I turn on the phone um, and I just talked to Shonda about this as well. How do you turn that into something? How does that personalization actually get you to act and nurture? And they've set up custom landing pages to capture interest with amazing photos of all women right in GE. I mean, personalization doesn't have to be a brand new piece of content. It can be an image. Just seeing a group of women standing in a GE you know, warehouse or facility, that's personalized to someone who saw the rest of that campaign. So. I said this earlier, but I just think one size fits all is one size fits none when it comes to lead nurture. And um, that segmentation, that tracking action and behavior, making sure you have that consistent message. If people are coming in on specific campaigns, if they're filling out a specific form um, based on an event or based on what audience they are, or if they're a veteran, that should really help personalize the content. It's not just a name. It's not a job alert because that's not that's not what's going to drive that ultimate interest. They really want to feel that fit. And if you can't personalize that in that email communication, someone else probably will. And, and they'll and they'll just pass up that email. A lot of great points there. And, and I know I was talking to uh, Tracy Parsons the other day, too, um, who leads our recruit marketing services. And. Uh, we were talking about automation too, w with regards to personalization and how you know automation gets this really bad rap. Um, but when we're talking about databases of you know hundreds of thousands of contacts and leads that that we want to tr try to drive personalization to, um, you know sometimes it's as simple as just writing a really good email response. Um, that goes out to those people that is like obviously human that has a little bit of personality um, and starting there and then getting you know into these big campaigns like GE is doing uh, with their women in technology so you know I, I think there, there's you know a, a big you know uh, there, there's kind of a, a leveling up period with that but just you know look at those opportunities that exist in your candidate journey today and go through that process if you come across something where you go man if I received this, I would think that this was from a, a, a robot and 
I probably would be turned off. Then you have a problem and you should be looking at how can I personalize that better? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a really great point in terms of automation. And I think I, I think I wrote a blog post about this somewhere. I mean, I've written a lot, many, many blog posts probably about different things in this conversation, but just because it's automated doesn't have, doesn't mean that it has to sound like a robot. And I think people immediately equate automation, which is like literally a, a technique of technology. It, automation is just what's facilitating the message. The message doesn't have to sound automated. <laughs> automation is just helping you fuel that message, scheduling it, and serving it up at the right time. But your language and how you should be talking to someone should never sound like a robot. So, I mean, that's a really good point. We talk a lot about personalization in terms of segmenting and actions and behavior, but it really just means be personal, be human, be, be, be authentic. So, um, I love that. And that, that, that's a really great point between you and Tracy. So how do you stay up to date with all the latest trends, uh, you know, things that are happening in uh, human capital management, uh, things that are happening in social uh, marketing, um, you know, all the different places? What, what, what are the sites you go to? Who are the people you listen to, the people you follow? So I was about to say I'm lucky in this aspect, but I also feel like it's kind of crazy too because I'm just like always looking at social, uh, managing the social media for Smashfly. I am looking at Hootsuite that is 10 streams wide every single day, all day. And I'm following hashtags and I'm live tweeting conferences. I'm live tweeting events. And so in that aspect, I'm always looking at things. And I think, Chris, you've even said a few times, you're like, wow, you're really on a Twitter feed today because I'm just rapid fire, like shooting articles that, that I've been reading. So realistically, that, that's my biggest source. I mean, I can go into some um, specific publications and people that I follow, but Really having that open every day, searching specific hashtags gives me a really broad um, array of people. I'm not just following one publication or getting alerts from one blog. I'm really seeing things based on themes and based on headlines and based what based on what other people are sharing. Um, I create lists a lot on Twitter based on specific topics, which really helps you kind of drown out the noise of Twitter. I know when Twitter first started, everyone was like, yes, let's follow everyone. Let's have like, you know, let's follow 7,000 people. And then you realize as you're looking at your streams, like who are all these people and what's the most important. So I know we do that for Smashfly as well. We have a lot of really succinct, concise lists um, that can really help you find that information that you're looking for. And I flag people. I mean, we have a, we have a reading list where all of the best content that I know that I, that I go back to, that's all in one feed. So if I want to find great articles, if I'm looking for something to include in our weekly wrap ups or, or for some inspiration, that's where I go because it has 30 of my top favorite people, not 7,000 people tweeting. Um, so I would, I would really advise doing that. If you're a big Twitter user, um, get Hootsuite free and, Follow some hashtags, create lists, and, and see it see it in streams. Um, another great thing is LinkedIn. Um, I know that they've kind of changed their pulse, but I find so many interesting articles and great headlines um, through LinkedIn. Again, I think a lot of people get used to going to the same publications or the same blogs, and I really like hearing different voices. So that's great to hear people in marketing, to hear people in technology, um, to get people from talent acquisition, from customers, people that I don't follow. That's a really great way to see kind of more topical and headlines and not head right to a, a, a publication. Um, 
But in terms of some of my favorite blogs and publications, of course, being in content, I read Content Marketing Institute and Joe Polizzi, um, Marketing Profs and Ann Ann Hadley. I always try to follow the publications and the blogs, but also the people that write them. So following their personal accounts is always really interesting to get get some more perspective. Um, Social Media Examiner is a great one. Copy Blogger is another great one for copywriters and marketing and content. They write really inspirational, very simple things, and I actually share it a lot on Smashfly as well just because I feel like it's so valuable to be able to be a great writer and a great storyteller um, across industries. It's not just specific to marketing. Um, and then, I mean, I love following Marvin Smith. I love, um, I love reading everything that comes out of ERE. Fistful of Talent is great for some humor as well as some really great industry perspective with Chris Dunn and Tim Sackett. Um, recruiting daily is something that I'm always seeing, uh, fortune and fast company and ink for business publications. So I'm a reader. I, I love that. And, and I'm also really big into social. So things are coming at me at, at all times. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. That's a list. And we'll definitely include that in the, in the kind of blog wrap up, uh, you know, after this as well. And we can definitely include those Twitter lists. Um, yeah. cause I know I do that too. It's the only way to make sense of Twitter after you start following, you know, probably like a, a few hundred people. Exactly. Um, all right. So, so what's, what's up next for you? Is there anything, you know, coming up that, um, you know, anybody listening should be kind of aware of, um, you know, how are other ways that, um, they can also get in contact with you? Um, and potentially connect with you as well. Yeah, so um, something that we just published, and this is actually really great for the recruitment marketing community, um, both for people that attended our conference in November, Transform, as well as people that are really looking to build connections with leaders in recruitment marketing and their peers. Um, We just published the Transform Conference ebook. So it's 38 um, takeaways from the pro speakers. It's really great. Um, it has all the links to, indivi- to individual sessions, great photos from the conference of speakers, amazing pro tips from everyone from Sean DeZillage at ZE to John Conn at CH2N to Alyn Bailey and Pam McKnight at Intel. I mean, it is a really everything great about Transform in one ebook. So I would highlight, highly recommend going to a resource center and looking at that. You might also see it floating around in social or in the Transform Recruitment Marketing Facebook group that Tim Sackett moderates. Um, a lot of Transform attendees and speakers are, are in that group and really trying to push, push the discipline. Um, so that's kind of something that we just published. I think in April, be, look, be looking out for a lot of uh, content on hourly. So if your organization is having some challenges, looking for perspective and solutions on the hourly market, Um, We're really ramping up a lot of research, looking at a lot of reports about manufacturing, food services, um, retail, really around the the, the hourly market and trying to uh, provide some perspective there. So look at the Smashfly blog. That's blog.smashfly.com. Always a lot of fun stuff going up there from a lot of different um, perspectives. We have some peers and practitioners writing as well as a lot of different internal voices from Smashfly. but yeah, that's it for me professionally. I'm going to New Zealand in November. So if you follow me on, uh, on Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn, maybe you'll see some awesome pictures to come. So I'm looking forward to that. Great. And, and what's your Twitter handle? Just uh, if anybody wants to follow that. My Twitter handle is at Elise Schmidt. 
So my maiden name, that's E-L-Y-S-E-S-C-H-M-I-D-T. Um, Fantastic. Well, this yeah. was such an awesome conversation. Um, you know, I think you're, you're definitely, you know, a go-to for me whenever I'm, you know, trying to get into content, social uh, best practices, uh, trends that are happening, uh, and they're just kind of keeping a pulse. Uh, I know I use kind of uh, all those Twitter lists as well to just, you know, make sure that I'm managing and, and understanding kind of what's happening in the industry. Um, you know, so a lot of great insights, um, as, as we said, you know, follow, um, you know, Elise, you know, contributes to our blog at blog.smashfly.com, um, you know, a few times a week now. Um, and, uh, there's always a great article on Fridays, uh, that is the five best, um, articles each week. Um, yep. so if there's one thing that if you just want to read five different articles that are impactful for recruit marketing, all you have to do is go to the blog on Fridays, uh, and you'll find it there. So Elise, thank you so much for joining me and, uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. Yeah, definitely. Chris, I think you're going to make me a podcasting pro at some point. So I appreciate you having me. It was great talking to you. Have a good one. Bye. For more insights in recruitment marketing, especially around content, I encourage you to go to smashfly.com and under resources, download our new content piece, the Transform Conference eBook, 38 takeaways and tips from the pro speakers. It provides tips from all the speakers at our Transform Conference, from GE to CH2M to Intel, on how to create brand awareness, encourage candidate consideration, and build interest and drive conversion. Go download your free copy today.